Christ who is preeminent. And because that, the doctrine of Christ being preeminent would refute all the other heresies that said there were other ways to salvation. Christ was the only way to salvation. Um, so the theme of Colossians, and I kind of gave that away, the other question is Christ is the head of the church, the head of the body. Uh, Paul proclaims the absolute soul supremacy and soul sufficiency, Christ alone. And when he talks to the, the um, Colossians, in fact, you know, what I'm told is that when they don't try to teach people when they're looking at counterfeit money, especially paper money, they don't look at what, I think you used that illustration, AG, that's where, AJ, that's where I got that from. They don't look at all the kinds of counterfeits that you might have. They look at what should be there and might be missing. Uh, they look at the real to know the counterfeit. And that's what Paul did. He showed them the real Lord Jesus Christ, not the counterfeit that false teachers were, were discussing. In fact, I love this. A.T. Robertson, uh, he was kind of a word scholar. He, he, he wrote, Colossians contains a full-length picture or portrait of Christ. We have as much or more in Colossians about who Christ is revealed to us than many other passages in Scripture. It's one of the primary passages where we can see the full <coughs> revelation of who Christ is. And I think I love it because there's so much just in chapter 1. Um, so he didn't focus on the named heresy Paul focused on the proper, true tr uh, doctrine of Christ is the head or preeminent. And uh, now this is probably the hardest question. Where was Colossians written? Paul wrote it. Where, did he, where was he when he wrote this? Rome. Yes, in prison in Rome. Great. Extra credit. Great. So... And if you remember, Epaphras came, as I said, and told him about the heresy that existed. So I bet you love the quiz so much you think we ought to have one every week, right? <laughs> okay. I just thought that'd be fun. And also it kind of helps if you have a, a gap. And some, some of you weren't here, and that also helps fill in a little gap of knowledge. So make sure you have a handout if you came in late. You got a handout? Oh, good. Great. Okay, so that'll really help. So we're on page one of the handout. And we're looking at that outline. Paul discusses four aspects of his ministry here in relationship to the Colossians. But before we get into that, well, let's do that. Let's do the outline first. The past we talked about is suffering, okay, in verse 24. Now, today, we're going to talk about uh, his commission to preach, and that's from 25 to 29 the end of chapter 1. And then the next, we'll be looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, his concern, and then later, we'll be looking at his challenge in chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. So I wanted you to have that so you could see the context here of what Paul is talking about, his ministry to the Colossians. And talked about suffering. He's talking about his commission to preach. 
and talk about his concern and then his challenge. And I'm, we're going to kind of hit the highlights on suffering and go over again uh, some of the aspects of his commission to preach. Before we do that, if you turn to Colossians 1, chapter, 19, uh, chapter 1, verses 19 through 29, I want to read that passage. I'd like you to stay open there because I'm going to keep referring back to this passage as we go through it. And um, so, and I just uh, read along silently with me as I read out loud. But I want you to see it as well to kind of help reinforce this. Um, so, verse 19 For it pleased the Father that in him, that's Christ, should all fullness dwell. Verse 20 And having made peace, that's again Christ, having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, I say, whether there be things in earth or things in heaven. And you, who were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled, verse 22, and the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. In verse 23, if or in the sense of in the in the in the sense of sense s i n c e since ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard which was preached to every creature under heaven whereof i paul am made a minister who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is left behind in the afflictions of Christ and my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof, or of which, the church, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach. Now you notice it doesn't say what we preach. It says whom we preach. He preached Christ, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. In the last verse, chapter 1, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. So I like to read that, and we're going to refer to it as we kind of go through the passage. So the first point in the outline is suffering. Verse 24, and we looked at this, um, um, I think, back in November <laughs> uh, before we took a break. So can't you remember this? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so that's why I had it in here for, for remembrance. I condensed it. So Paul, in previous verses, before our passage here, verses 15 through 23, proclaim Christ's unique supremacy, his sovereignty, his superiority, and his sufficiency. That is, he is perfectly 
capable. He has, he's omnipotent. He can, he has the capability as God to do what he needed to do. He was preeminent. He was before everything. He was first. Um, he concluded, Paul concluded verse 23 with a reference to the spread of the gospel to the world with a statement that he was a minister of the gospel. He said, if you continue in the great faith grounded and settled, verse 23, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, whereof I Paul, am made a minister. So he states that his sufferings are part of that ministry in verse 24, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is left behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. His sufferings for, uh, so his sufferings were in three different aspects. They're number two, middle of the page under suffering. His sufferings are for others. That's the you. His sufferings are identified with the afflictions of Christ, and his sufferings were with rejoicing. Now, let's look at his commission to preach, and that's item B up in our big outline. And under this one, we're going to have four sub-points that we're looking at. I don't want that to be confusing. So Paul's ministry overall reflected, he talked to them about his suffering, his commission to preach, the concern he had in chapter 2 and the challenge that he had uh, in, cha in chapter 2. But in chapter 1, 25 through 29, he talked about his commission to preach, and there were four features of that. His appointment, which we looked at last week and we'll review today, now. He looked at his, um, um, he, re he, he, he revealed his message and that's today we're going to look at 25B through 28, his method, and then uh, today or next week we'll look at his goal or aim in verse 29. So Paul's appointment first. So in the outline, number one under B, Paul's appointment. Paul's appointment is shown in verse 25A, whereof, meaning of which, that's of the church, I am made a minister. He states he's a minister in these passages um, that are listed there. He's a minister of the gospel, Ephesians 3, 6 through 7, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So he says, I'm a minister of the gospel. Whereof, verse 7, Ephesians 3, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of grace, of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. So he was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God. So he was a minister of the gospel. Uh, he's a minister of God, 2 Corinthians 6, 4. But in all things, approving ourselves as the minister of God, ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, and in distresses. So he's a minister of the gospel. He's a minister of God. He's a minister of Christ, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three. If you remember last week, we looked at this passage. And this is Paul's resume of suffering. And this passage just always strikes me. Who in the world could go through all of this? the number of stripes, the number of stonings, the shipwrecks, 
the days that he spent in out adrift in the sea in the deep and uh, the perils that he faced from bandits and even false uh, brethren that tried to do him in and report him and the hardships and the cold and the being short on even clothes. Um, I can't imagine that. And that this whole passage is striking because he, he authenticates his ministry by showing the suffering that he did for Christ. And he says to the Corinthians who were a bit much like the 21st century, he said, are they ministers of Christ? He's speaking about the false teachers. I speak as a fool. I am more. And labor is more abundant in stripes of a measure and prisons more frequent and deaths oft or often. And he goes on and talks about all of the things that happened to him. Incredible. And that's just a summary. Yes. That last statement, three deaths oft. Yeah. Uh, he was in peril, I think, in peril of death. Do you consider there was one time he was taken out to the city limits and stoned? Yeah. And they thought and he got was. got out yeah. under the pile of rocks. Because yeah. when you were stoned, that yeah. was where the body was left under a pile of rocks. Very few people made stone, uh, came came through stonings with, with alive. That's for sure. But yeah. This implies he died. I would not. I would not doubt that. Up. Yeah, I would not doubt More that. More than once. Yeah. <laughs> and and so the the thing here, this is kind of a strange thing because he says, "I speak as a fool." He there is kind of talking uh, and confronting the Corinthians, uh, the false teachers there, and that were they were they were being persuaded by the false teachers uh, who were foolish. So he was speaking, he was answering the fools according to their folly that they were, the Corinthians were rejecting him, they were rejecting the gospel. So he's authenticating his truthfulness by how much he suffered for Christ and uh, his ministry there. So amazing uh, passage that always amazes me because I don't like to suffer. I don't know about you. And somebody throwing a rock at me is not, not appreciated. Uh, also, he's a minister in uh, the New Covenant, 2 Corinthians 3, 6. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, he said, but our sufficiency is of God, who, verse 6 of chapter 3, 2 Corinthians, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. And I think the letter there is referring to the law. So he is a minister of the New Covenant, the New Testament. So Paul was a minister, and he was a made minister of the church. He was a minister of the gospel, a minister of God, minister of Christ, minister of the New Covenant. So as a minister of church, the last paragraph on your handout at the bottom of page one. I put all of this here so if you can't understand my southern dialect and accent, you can understand what I've written. As a minister of the church, he, Paul, is to serve and suffer in the manner that's necessary, in the manner that God called him to do, for the welfare and requirements of the church and the gospel as, as the Lord directed him to do. Suffering and service for Christ and the church then become a duty and a responsibility in addition to the joy and rejoicing that he mentions previously in verse 24. Um, 
says in verse 24, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is left behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. So he, suffering and service are a duty and a responsibility. Now, we also have a duty and responsibility to serve and to suffer. So we don't do that as apostles, but we do that as servant of God and heirs. Um, and I wanted to take a minute to look at these passages. Romans 12, 1. If you want to turn there, uh, keep your finger or a piece of paper or marker in uh, Colossians 1. Now, everybody knows this passage, but I think sometimes we've heard it so often we don't take it and internalize it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, Romans 12, uh, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. There's the service part that we're talking about, service. Now, sacrifice, inherent in sacrifice, is suffering. So suffering and service there. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me that every man among you, that is among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, we're too good for service or we're too good for suffering, but to think soberly as according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have members, for so, excuse me, for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So whatever God has given to us, we are to do it. We are to serve and we may suffer for him in the process. Um, and the next passage uh, is reminiscent of, of this, this passage. It's Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Now, you know, this passage follows the great hall of fame. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Noah. By faith, Moses, etc. And it says, it starts out, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Wherefore, now we're looking at suffering and service. Service and suffering. And our and our responsibility and our duty. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and weights are the things that hold us back, like sin. And the sin which so easily doth, and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So we have a duty, comparing athletes, to run that race 
without the weights. Lay aside the weights so that we can run the race and, and be victorious. And the cloud of witnesses are all of those Old Testament saints that are mentioned in Hebrews 11 that by faith they serve the Lord. Their duty, they fulfill their duty and responsibility. And they did their service for God and suffered sometimes in, 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 uh, in, as they did it. Now, the great example for us is in verse 2, Hebrews 12, 1, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He suffered, and we off, as Colossians talks about, we, off, uh, we also suffer his afflictions uh, in his name. And the great example to imitate is the Lord Jesus Christ. How could we refuse to suffer looking at what he suffered? And then 1 Peter 1, 7, uh, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth through it, though it, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And 1 Peter 4, 16 but let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or an evildoer, a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. So we may be called to suffer. We shouldn't be ashamed of that, but we glorify God that we were able to suffer for him. First Peter 4, 12-14 Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. We have a duty and responsibility to serve and suffer like Paul talked about in his ministry and that's our uh, we are to serve and suffer uh, if you be reproached in verse 14 of 1 Peter if you be reproached for the name of Christ happy are you for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you on their part evil is spoken of but on your part he is glorified okay let's turn to the top of page 2 According to the dispensation of God, in verse uh, 25, it says, Wherefore, Paul said, Whereof the church I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So, uh, what does that mean according to the dispensation of God? Well, it means Paul's appointment and calling, as we looked at this last week, and commissioning to his office was on the terms of the stewardship. That word dispensation is kind of an economic term of, of being a steward or stewardship. In other words, the arrangement and plan of God. Paul viewed his work to which God appointed Paul as a sacred trust and a special privilege requiring the utmost accountability, ultimate accountability and responsibility and dedication 
and consecration and commitment to God. Since he was commissioned by God, Paul was accountable to God. And we also have a sacred trust and as well. Our, um, we have a sacred trust. God has given to each one of us a special gift that we are to serve and, um, and suffer. Um, so we're all accountable to God as we looked at in Luke 16, uh, 10. We looked at that early 16. Remember the uh, passage, he who is faithful and little, be faithful also and much. Okay, so this is new, Paul's message. If you look back on page one on the handout here, you'll see that we are, we've moved in his commission to preach from Paul's appointment to Paul's message. So we know that his commission came from God, but, and so his appointment was from God, and what was his message? What was he saying? Okay, and this is 25B through 28A. Various phrases are used in these verses to identify Paul's message. The first one is the word of God. Now, that, that's really familiar to us. And uh, it's often used as a, um, a synonym of the, uh, of the gospel. And um, it's, uh, the, it sums up the oral proclamation of the apostles, and it's often used synonymously with the gospel. 1 Corinthians 14, 36 tells us that what? <laughs> That's what it started, the way it started. What? Came the word of God out from you or came it unto you only? And he's making an argument to the Corinthians who were, as, as often you might expect, off-center on a belief. And he said, well, the word of God didn't come from you it came from God and also it didn't come to you only it came to everyone and they were doing uh, unrighteous things in their activities so Second uh, Corinthians 2.17 for we are not as many in other words he's saying the majority um, corrupt which corrupt the word of God the word is actually peddlers there, which uh, he's talking about the fact that uh, he did it out of sincerity, but others do it for personal gain. So we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity or genuineness, but as of God and the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So the word of God. Um, then First uh, Corinthians 4, 2. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So the word of God, and here... Uh, is mentioned in these contexts uh, of the misuse of the word of God, but Paul used it sincerely and as from God. Now, um, we are going to go into the word of God now being a mystery. So I think we'll just do that and we'll stop after B here. So let's look at um, verses 26 and 27. 
and first and Colossians 1, first Colossians, Colossians 1, uh, verses 26 and 27. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ and you, the hope of glory. So, now, the word mystery, when I hear mystery, I think, who done it? I think of, or something that, uh, um, you know, they have this show, a mystery that's that of uh, this 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 uh, real life murder, or um, what happened here? This person disappeared and they never found them, or this this aircraft disappeared, and what's the answer to that mystery? What actually happened? But that's not really the way this is is uh, is presented here. <coughs> the Lord spoke of mysteries in Matthew thirteen eleven and Luke eight ten. And he said um, that he used mysteries. Um, and the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. And Luke 8, 10, very similar. He said, And he said unto you, it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, seeing that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Interesting passage. Mysteries. Now, mystery, uh, let's, um, the, um, I looked up missed the word mystery, because this is not like Agatha Christie mysteries, right? And uh, who loves it? I love a good mystery, but uh, this is not that. So, Vines says that uh, mystery here is a noun, and it's mysterion, M-U-S-T-E-R-I-O-N. And it's primarily, it means primarily that which is known to the initiated, the mustes, M-U-S-T-E-S. So, in the New Testament, Vines Expository Dictionary said, in the New Testament, it, it means... Not the mysterious as with the English word, but that which, number one, being outside the range of unassisted natural ability to understand, it can be made known only, number two, by divine revelation. So it's outside natural understanding, and it is, secondly, made known only by divine revelation, and three, it's made known in a manner and a time appointed by God. God decides when he wants to reveal it. And it's made known to those who are illumined by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit interprets and helps us to understand it. In the ordinary sense, a mystery implies knowledge withheld. Its scriptural significance, though, is truth revealed. So a mystery is truth revealed in the New Testament. So the terms associated, since it's truth revealed, are made known, manifested, revealed, preached, understood, dispensation. Uh, the definition that we gave here about 
that which is known to the initiated, is best illustrated by our own passage. He uses our own passage in, 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 in the uh, reference in Vine's expository dictionary. He said, uh, the mystery which hath been hid from all ages and generations, but now hath been manifested to all his saints, Colossians 1.26. So it's truth revealed. And so look at item B here under Paul's message, page 2. Christ spoke of mysteries. Mysteries was, was used by and has been borrowed from the religious, not Christian, but religious language of the day. And it comes from the Greek, and it means to initiate into the mysteries or to learn a secret and that which is known by the initiated. Basically, Paul took a word. Paul is fascinating. I wish I knew Greek better because all these, he expresses so much, God enabled him to express so much uh, at many levels as he teaches he, and reveals, and he's written God's word. He's, he took a word that was misused by false religion, turns it into something good to express great truths from God in God's revelation. And the New Testament, number one, it's, it's a, used of a truth made known only by divine revelation. And it's, number two, it's made known in a manner and time appointed by God. And number three, it's made known to those only who are illumined by the Holy Spirit. And in the New Testament, it refers to something for that was once a secret, but is now revealed in the gospel and God's word. It's used four times in Colossians. Uh, it's 126 that we just read, and it's in uh, uh, 127 as well and Colossians 2 2 that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the accomplish the acknowledgement rather of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ and then finally chapter 4 verse 3 with all praying also for us that God would open the door Open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. So it's a truth revealed. It's something previously unknown, now known, revealed to God and his time and illumined in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Now, we'll start next week with... Uh, two characteristics here of uh, the uh, of the of the mystery and I never quite understood that mystery so I really wanted to drill down on what it is so that we all understand it and because it's not it's that that word is so used in the entertainment industry to talk about uh, some some uh, uh, who murdered who, I wanted to talk about being truth revealed and how Paul took that and twisted it around to a proper meaning that glorifies God. And the, the mystery here is, is really beyond description, uh, and it, it's, actually con it's actually purely defined right there in Scripture, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's a marvelous message. 
and uh, I have a fabulous quote that really helps bring that to realization. I don't think very few of us have ever realized what that actually means, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we want to talk about that ne next week. Any questions or input? Complaints next week? Right. Yes. yes, Betty. Let's find it. Okay. In 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 25 of Colossians. Okay. Um, well, what, uh, I'm going to go back to 23, where since means, uh, if means since. What, what was that you gave for 25? What was Love. it? Oh. Um, I didn't. What about of? Uh, let me see. I need to read it. Hold on. Take your time. Uh, so, oh, if you continue to in the whom faith, God would make known what is the, the rest of it. But to whom was that? Whereof does that mean the same? No, twenty-five. Yeah. You're in twenty-five. Okay, whereof, the whereof, yes. it's, it, it actually is referring to the church, so it modifies the church, oh. which he's, the body's sake, he's saying that's the church, then he says the church, it, whereof means of which, okay. so the church, he's really saying I'm made a minister of the church according to the appointment um, in the direction or dispensation, stewardship. God gave him that stewardship. His ministry was a stewardship to, to uh, share the gospel. That was his service, the dispensation of God. And, and he says, which is given to me for you. He said, this is for you. I'm doing this for you to fulfill the word of God. Um, so the church, he's made a minister of the church. That makes sense? Is that what you ask? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So thanks for asking the question. I, I try. I tried because I'm going. Where of what? Where? 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 Where is where of? What does that refer to? So because Paul's writings, uh, was Peter said, you know, Paul's writings are are difficult because the sentences go on and on and on and on and on. And so you have to. That's why I really wanted to break this down. That's why I was taking so much time because I wanted to try to really break this down so we could all see what Paul was saying because it's profound. It is really marvelous. So, um, now, do you think he was talking just about church in Colossae or the churches throughout Asia, Asia Minor? Oh, when he said you? I think, I think that was for them because he was writing to them, but I think there's a, like many parts of Scripture it really applied to, for all of us. Yeah, and this... Just like this, this letter was written to them, but it's in the canon of Scripture because it applies to us. That's why I kept saying uh, this, this also applies. We also have a duty and responsibility. We also have a sacred trust that we have to take as seriously as Paul took, whatever God has given us to do. So if we teach, we're to teach faithfully and simply, meaning I believe that means adhered to the truth, just pure, simple. Um, and we are, are accountable to God for what he has given to us and have a duty and responsibility. So, yeah, it applies to that, but it applies to all of us in the scripture. That's a real good question. 
because we could just say that's them, right? <laughs> so, uh, yes. Okay. Other. That's a great Betty. Great questions. Thank you. Any other questions? Let's pray then. Father, thank you for this time. We thank for each one that's here, each family represented, and thank you for those that are listening online, those that are uh, watching, and and I pray you'd bless this as uh, as we look. Uh, at the scripture and help us to understand the nuances here that you have written that are so important. Help us not to miss that because we, we jump over something. Help us to really understand this in depth. Pray that you would help us to understand your word so we could live according to your word and serve you with our whole hearts. And Lord, if we have to suffer, I pray that you would help us to do it glorifying you. Pray that you would uh, bless the church service to follow. We pray that you would uh, help us to um, help those that are ill and can't, and that are that are hurting, those that are in difficulty. Pray your blessing upon them and give them the grace to to bear up under the illnesses and suffering that they have. And thank you for uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is preeminent, who is the author and finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.